You are listening to Through the Greenhouse Haze on Open Lines Radio. Follow Holly on Instagram at Stony Immaculate. Follow Mark on Instagram at TinCan.Telephone. Follow the Through the Greenhouse Haze Instagram page at In the Greenhouse Haze. And be sure to check out Open Lines Radio online at www.openlinesradio.com. And now stay tuned for Through the Greenhouse Haze. Enjoy!
Hi. What are you doing? Uh, not too much. No? Just kind of hanging out. What's been up? Been working a lot. A Work- ton. Working I haven't on- seen you in a friggin' week. Yeah, I've been I've been uh I've been working on things. I've been making shit happen. Like what? Um I, hey, did you hear about uh the new French speaking podcast? I that did. I actually Radio? listened to it because I'm a student of French. I I can read French and uh glean a somewhat meaningful gist of it, but um hearing people speak it they speak it really quickly it's hard for me to always uh, break it down but it's i'm getting better at reading it i want to get better at actually listening to people who speak in fluent french it just seems so fast i can't hear anything remember when we went to dublin yes and they're speaking english and i still couldn't understand (laughs) what they were saying (laughs) it was good though you know i wanted to actually say um because one of my photographs debuted in a, a French gallery just yesterday. Completely unrelated Completely to unrelated. The, the French podcast. Yes, just uh, my separate friend Weird. in Paris um, included me in his gallery exhibition, and I was so honored. But um, I was just thinking, like, everybody told me before I, we went uh, to Europe that, you know, people in Paris were really rude and I should be like expected to kind of be upbraided or or uh, um, feel embarrassed just by being an American in Paris and everyone was wonderful they yeah. they were so kind and completely accommodating the only assholes we met in Paris oh, were, were Americans, Americans. <laughs> I know Duke's coming over to join oh, us oh yeah he's hearing us he hears voices hi Duke Come here. Anyway, I was thinking about that. Yeah. How everyone was like, oh, be prepared. They hate Americans. Like, I don't, but it was kind of like, it was a long time ago. It was right after Freedom Fries. (laughs) (laughs) But remember, remember when we went and ate at that little crepe place and the waitress didn't speak a single word of English and we were trying, and we didn't speak a single word. We like, we show up in the city and we're just like, expect people to understand us. (laughs) And um, she didn't understand a word, and she was really, she seemed like she was really upset, and she was really trying to communicate something with us, and then finally, uh, the, the the couple at the next table was from Manchester. I had ordered the special. Yeah. I had ordered the special on the little whiteboard outside of the crepery, and I, I didn't, I wasn't even, I just was so happy to be there, and I was excited for all kinds of international delights. It didn't even dawn on me. But um, it was the special was this all inclusive thing, and that the frantic the frantic waitress was trying to explain to me that my already extremely generous in proportion <laughs> French meal they brought me so much I had like I had a croissant I had accoutrement I had everything and she and she kept trying to say you know uh, pick a dessert. And well, I was like, I'm so know. full. I'm so full. We didn't know what she was saying, though. Right. And, and she was trying to convey that and, it was included that, in the special. That, that couple <laughs> at the next heart. table from Manchester was like, she's trying to let you know that you can't. She she's worried you're going to leave without your dessert. Without your compliment. And she was your so complimentary worried that we were going to leave without the dessert. But yet, the only, actually, the only asshole I remember on that trip was that American. Guy in, in the that, pizza in place. The, in the, yeah, in the Italian place. <laughs> yes. With the Obama shirt. He was awful. 
He was awful and he was making a drunk scene on a Thursday evening in Paris. Yeah, it was weird. And we were just laughing to ourselves like, oh, God, like just try to blend in in the table over. We're like, we don't know him. We're Americans, but we're not with we're, him. We promise we're not with him. But um, I feel so blessed by that trip and every like everything that happened on that whole journey was absolutely perfect, intentional, and has impacted my life today in ways I can't even. Yeah. And so when people try to tell you like, oh, you know, traveling abroad is an expense that you don't need, that um, everywhere is just like everywhere else. No, it's not. No, that was the most important. No, it's not. Go that immerse was the most yourself. important week and a half Absolutely. of my life. Absolutely. Definitely go immerse yourself in as many other cultures as you can. Push your boundaries. Oh, now I just now I got a hankering. Now I got an itch. I really want I really want to go to Germany. Yeah, me too. Anyway. That's not happening anymore. What else has soon. been going on this week? I was sad, yes. I've been sad for a few days. I've been genuinely heartbroken. Um, I think I told you, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, I've been almost too sad to meme, which is a whole new level of sadness. <laughs> well, you've got multiple things going on right now that are making you sad. You've got this I'm grieving. shit going on I'm in grieving. Australia, these fires in Australia. I'm grieving by That's proxy. what set you off the other well, day. Well, it's not fair for me to say I'm grieving in the same ways as um, like my dearest friends, like Ebony and Shell. Um, we've had fire here, so I kind of get that helpless feeling and that like even if you're a witch and you want to do like all the magic you can think of, it's like it's this force of nature bearing down on you. It's It's just really hard. And so... Um, seeing the pictures of the animals and the loss of life in Australia absolutely, absolutely tore me up. Um, talking to Ebony firsthand in New South Wales and her telling me that her little girls are traumatized, they can't escape. The things they're seeing on the news, they haven't been able to go to school, she hasn't been able to leave the house, her husband hasn't been able to go to work, they've just been, st their holiday was canceled um, meanwhile, the Prime Minister of Australia His holiday uh, wasn't canceled. took a vacation to Hawaii while everyone in New South Wales was stuck and stranded. Um, what To use uh, Ebony's words, what'd she call him? Anyway, I, I, I won't say it. Something like a... I can't remember. I remember it was funny, though. Yeah, it was way funny. It wasn't I wish adult, I but it was the equivalent. It wasn't it was quite a... Adult or a, what are they, what is, um, it's not a dotard, <laughs> not quite a dotard, but the equivalency of an Australian dotard is what she called him. And I was, I've just been feeling that for her and just feeling the loss of, I couldn't take the pictures of the koalas. They're just so slow and innocent looking. Um, well, it, and, it and Shell's like losing. Shell has already been through hell seven times over this last year with everything the drought in australia like, it's bad here it's definitely bad here and so i feel that but um after after shell came here and sitting with her and getting to know her um and hearing firsthand of what it's like in actual australia it's like the people are like we are as advanced and as internet savvy as we are but the country is like somehow stuck in the 90s of america so i can't even imagine just the uh 
the red tape and the bullshit uh, that they face every day. But I'm right there with them. So my heart's been broken and grieving with them. Of course, not at the same level as them because I can't actually smell the smoke this time. But I have before and I've seen... I've seen loss of life due to fire, and uh, nothing breaks my heart more. Yeah. Um, but I did talk to Ebony, and we did a little water spell, and we, we gave some offerings to Yemea, and she said that night it's rained, and it has rained ever since. And so yesterday Is she was... Is it enough rain to do anything? Well, think, here's or? the thing. They haven't left the house for weeks, but yesterday she was able to take the girls out to get new backpacks for school go grocery shopping she found a living uh alligator lizard in her yard which brought her a lot of joy and me some joy simultaneously because honestly i feel like if i just yell through the floor of my house that it's somehow just an echo chamber into ebony's house she literally is like my mental down under i just feel like i have this um have you ever lived in a two-story house with a basement where you talk yeah. to somebody through the heat through vent? The vent yeah. yeah, that's what I feel for her. That's uh, that's how our hearts are tied together. And with Shell, too, although Shell is a machine, the loss she's felt, I don't know that I can handle it, what she's been through. But, man, she's a trooper. Yeah. And then, and then on top of that, yesterday, we lost Elizabeth Wurzel yeah. at 52. To stage four breast cancer. You read that book. You were a little younger than when I read that book in grad school's uh, part, of, and I really liked it. As I mean, I was like mid twenties, but um, that was something that affected you more as a teenager. Yeah. Um. Well, I posted about it yesterday, and I got mixed reactions. And so I understand that that book hit a lot of yeah. privileged people as. Um, let me think of the collective term that the more privileged people described that book as. Uh, hot mess. Yeah. Maybe just a mess that they had never had to clean up before. Or maybe a mess that they're living in. I mean, maybe if I remember correctly, she was going to an Ivy League school in that book. Maybe not. It's been a, it's been. I can't believe it's been 20 years since when i read that book it was a, it was at a time in my life where i felt like every single thought that i had was wrong and would be forever deemed wrong by society every feeling i had was over dramatic over sensitive um dismissed immediately uh like some kind of weird made-up phantom that i was just making up to be difficult uh it was a very i was in a very dark place where i thought i had definitely um woken up on the wrong planet i just did not belong and when i read her book um well yesterday just described elizabeth wurzel as her big sister because she doesn't have one and i don't have one either i'm the oldest so is jess she said you were you were my jess is seven 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 yon Seven Anne. Yeah. She's been on virtual um, campfire. She described Elizabeth as like her first and only big sister that kind of like, and I feel the same way. Like she showed me the 
the ropes and like, hey, like I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. It's okay to be sensitive. Like literally everything in the world is tuned to use you and uh, deceive you. And that was like, oh my God, thank you. Finally, someone's taking my, I'm not crazy. All these systems are set in place to um, basically put me in this place of sadness so you can harness my life energy for your purposes. And she put a sense of rebellion in my heart that still burns like a fucking fire. And I remember there was this, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. Keep talking. I don't mean to ramble. But she, there was this part of the book where she said that she felt like um, when she died, she had always had such a nice, fake, warm, white girl smile that even if she died, like, her smile would stay like the Cheshire cat comforting people like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. You didn't hurt me. Like, it's all good. Like, even after she passed, she thought this, like, this ch fake Cheshire cat smile of warmth that she had projected onto society <laughs> would be her legacy and her Elizabeth Wurzel, the person, the struggle, the journey, um, would be forgotten or deemed as a traitor, like almost like a Soviet. It's some, it's something along, it's a, a really beautiful quote in the book where she would be like, uh, forgotten like a Soviet age agent, but her Cheshire cat smile would somehow remain on the hearts of the people that she knew because she was such a fucking faker. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it makes sense to me, yeah, and, and I know it makes sense to a lot of other, I won't even just say women, I think just depressed people, sensitives, empaths, um, nature lovers who are feeling the ecological destruction in their actual soul. That's an actual thing, by the way. We do pick up on ecological destruction, interrupting helicopter. I'm not sure the U.S. government wants you to say you know what you're what? about to say. Okay, listen, agent in the computer, helicopter over my house again. Come at me. <laughs> Come at me, bruh. Well, it this, it's this kind of the same thing. Remember the, uh, I can't remember the name or even the name of the book, but the... It was on the Oprah's book club a long time ago, and this guy had written this book about it's addiction. It's called A Million Little Pieces. <laughs> a middle, Million Little Pieces, and the, and the guy had written it as a piece of fiction. It did. It wasn't doing well. Did he, you read it? No, I didn't read it, but but it wasn't doing well, and um, so he remarketed it as a memoir, and then like it got onto the Oprah's book club, and it was this big thing, and then it came out that it actually was a piece of fiction, and it wasn't a memoir. And everyone was pissed, and and everybody felt betrayed. But at the same, but it's like, why? If if that piece of writing touched you, if something touched you, why the fuck does it matter if it was real or not? Like it touched you, it it like made a change in you. Like why was that? Like that guy was like run out of town, like chased out with tarred and feathered, and chased out okay. with pitchforks. And I'll speak to that whatever. a little bit. I'll speak to that a little bit because I respect the creative voice, and I respect writers who like receive a creative download and want to put it out in the world, but instead of putting it out in its raw form, they decide to 
sublimate it because they can hold it but here's the in thing. their beaker of humanity. The and they he was putting it out in its raw form. Sublimated into something higher. He was putting right, it out right, right, and no right. one was reading it. But the memoir is something higher. not until he changed higher. it to memoir, but then he's people said, read it. He's taking and then it changed lives. the so voice what? and saying like, this is what I wanted to happen and speaking it into this is what did happen and giving it to people in that shell. But also, when you're speaking to the women of this time and i mean all generations of women from great great grandmas that are still living on into the infants of the world for female maybe not just women maybe not just women but just anyone who's been raised in um a fairy tale childhood uh where you hear the like your your first the first things you're learning are these fantastical tales these crazy things, these insane tangents, and you think that it's real because you're just a kid. You haven't lived anything. You haven't made any of your own choices. And so you fall in love with these fairy tales, and your heart is broken, and your hopes are dashed on the rocks when Everybody you find out are. this isn't fucking true. Because none of it's And true. that's what A Million Little Pieces did. It gave all these people this faith, like, holy shit, this guy lived this life. This really happened to him. Miracles happen. He's walking around today. I can't believe it. I want that miracle to happen to me. And then he goes, oh, also... I just really wanted this miracle to happen. So can we just pretend like it did? But yeah, but here's what happened. You had all these people who this is like oh, this miracle happened for this guy. This miracle can now happen for me. And they were making that miracle happen for them. And then as soon as it came out that it was a fiction, they were like, oh, I can no longer make this happen for me. It was a fucking travesty. It's a Santa Claus trap. It's a Jesus trap. But it was. But they could still have made it happen for them. Like that guy's. It okay. never would have been read had he not gone through the avenues he went through and it touched people sure and then as soon as they found out that it was i'll defend his creative license to speak in the higher octave like, as look if at it Elrond, actually Elrond started a religion about absolutely making shit up. every every religion that's ever been founded ever is founded upon the same principles and if he had gone rogue cult leader with a million little pieces and spoke to the masses like it did happen to him right, and, and I, did I uh talks like he probably could have started but a cult, and maybe it, it would have ended like he Heaven's was in Gate. It for the profit. He wanted to spread the, and it's a beautiful story. It's a great story, and it's definitely one that should be told. But who's to say that if he hadn't have been honest about it, that it wouldn't have caught on just a few years later, and been celebrated more as the truth without marring his name? Who knows? Who knows? It doesn't really matter. But here's the thing about Prozac Nation. It doesn't really matter. Here's the thing about Prozac Nation is. I was in my mid twenties when I read it, and you know I had to write a paper on it and shit. But you did yeah, really? Yeah, I can find it somewhere. In I, what class? <clears throat> what was, level? It was it was it was in, it was in my master's program. Oh my god! It was god, for my that... writing program. Okay, but... I'm sorry. That makes my heart explode. That someone had the sentiency to like put that book in on a master's level and make you fuckers check it down. I put that book. I went to Goddard oh College. We create gosh. our own curriculum. I put that book oh, on you my did curriculum. It? Oh. And. Oh, it's all you. And and cheers and, to but, you. But in my as somebody as a man in my as a white male in my mid twenties who at that time, at that time was this was pre nine or pre nine eleven. So like the world was pretty good. Like I was living like in my I was in my mid twenties like living my best life, and 
that book touched me and that book made sense to me and that book made me feel like I wasn't alone in the world and so for like I just don't understand what the what's the big diss that people have on it because um, I, I, I kind of equated to I that same million honestly, little pieces thing where honestly, it's like they just say that it wasn't exactly true and I'm sure if she put it if she put it out as a 26 year old today um it would be absolutely seen in a different light and celebrated but she was just at that crux just at that exact point where even the older men in my life were like oh what bitch got an opinion now but they also kind of wanted to hear it it's like they've been really like you know shush bish you don't have an opinion but also i'm kind of interested in what you have to say like she gave that little edginess that actually when can I get really personal? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I never knew a good life uh, before 9-11. I was just coming into my very, very youthful adulthood uh, when it all came crashing down. And um, I was working in a high-rise building the day the planes hit. And... Oh, <laughs> We were all like, shit, let's go to the... Like, we were terrified and everything. But um, I left that job. Um, But when I read... It was before that. I read Prozac Nation probably five months before 9-11. Which is still late, because I think it came out in, We probably read it at the same time, in in completely different lives. Sure, sure. I I was fairly old to actually finally receive it, and I was in a really confused place... Um, but I read it and I remember going to work the next day. I was working at the parks department. And so I was just surrounded by dudes and car hearts. Um, I was the resident arborist. So I picked which branches of the park trees, which would be sawed off and which would stay for aesthetics. Um, but I had to ride around in these trucks with these guys all day. And I, the day after I finished that book, suddenly... Suddenly, out of nowhere, I got vocal. I remember it explicitly. And they were like, oh, what? Shit, bitch got an opinion all of a sudden. And while they were, like, fakingly put off, they also wanted to hear what I had to say. And that's Elizabeth Wurzel's gift. She gave that. She gave it a raw first account of the bullshit saying like look i know you think i'm this dumb little girl and i've been living in this shell and you think i've been buying everything you're selling me and you think i've been just slurping up everything you're feeding me but i actually am not that dumb and i know you motherfuckers are trying to harness my life force and use my powers and uh i'm not gonna do it i think i'm just gonna use my powers for my own self-pleasure so go fuck yourself uh she gave me so much power probably more witchcraft than anyone has ever bestowed upon me to this day so if you think elizabeth wurzel in heaven listen to me if you think you're gonna be forgotten like some soviet uh traitor nah honey you're my cheshire cat on my heart in pain forever. And that's all I got to say about that. That's, all, that's, <laughs> that's that, it. That's all I got to say about if that. If you think you're forgotten, you ain't. But she, it's just, it never will be. It's just, <laughs> it's just weird to think that we were in different places. Nine Eleven changed everything for me. Yeah. What about you? 
Like it changed well, my I, life. I mean, my life changed. was already at a crossroads at that exact moment. So I hadn't really established my adult. So it was just right at that moment. I was crossing over from child into adult. I was getting my own place. I was finally working a full-time job. I was going to school at night. I had my own ideas. I was paying my own bills for the first time in my life. And two weeks later, that happened. And I was like, oh, I just got my power. And now I feel powerless. And what is going to happen now? And am I okay to work in a two-story building? And is this what I want to do with my life? By the way, the job that I was doing after night... Okay. I don't know if I should... Maybe... Yeah. I'm going to talk about this. Purge, baby. I'm going to purge. I'm going to purge on this eclipse, cancer, full moon shiz. I took this job and I really thought I had made the big time. I really thought someone saw my intellect and my genius and understood my talents um i was working for it's a real estate company it was an escrow company called um i won't even name them doesn't matter i was working there with my a couple of my best friends the word america no not at first when i first started it was called source one services source Source One Services was, um, I sat in a cubicle and I took calls from all over the country from very nice real estate agents who um, wanted to get a comparative analysis of the home they were going to sell. So they would send me, I was an analyst, so they would send me pictures of the home that they were trying to sell and then I would have to find three comps. Three comp, what does comp mean? Comp means I would need to find three comparable, comparable properties in aesthetics and value and um, acc- I don't I want to say accoutrement, but that's just my French <laughs> shit. It's just um, you know the extras, yeah. you know any anything that would drive the sale of any kind of real property. And so I w- I was an analyst of that. So um, my favorite, my favorite guy was Bob Romano in New York because he always had these like really cool brownstones. They were these really cool brick exposed. I just loved, I was like, oh, Bob Romano will take his call anytime because he would send me this great house and then I'd have to search for comparable hot properties and then I'd have to give them this. I, I, comparable me. Comparable hot properties okay, listen, in your area are waiting for your Comparable hot call. properties in your area are waiting for your call. And guess who decides what's hot or not? Me? 20-year-old me? Do you remember that website, Hot 20, or Not? 20, yeah. 20-year-old me who was also running an MS. <laughs> Never mind. That's a whole other story, though. I was running a chat room. But, um simultaneously but i was the one who would pick uh which properties are comparable or not and so i was very very good at it so i excelled pretty quickly and then 9-11 happened (coughs) and uh so we were all in our cubicles the morning it happened and roger my boss had the office we were all in cubicles and he had this office with a closed door and i remember i knocked on roger's door after i got this alert on my computer and he goes Come, he motions me through the little slot and window to come in. And I come in and I shut the door. And he goes, some idiot just flew a plane into the World Trade Center. And I go, I know, that's why. Is it? And he goes, no, 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 it was nothing. It was just an accident. Like, 
the guy is just an idiot. He just misnavigated and he flew a plane into the World Trade Center. Like, just go back to work. Like, he just tried to, like, patriarchally, like, shush me and, like, just go back. Just go call Bob Romano. Okay, so I go back to my desk and try to call Bob Romano. Your phone, your call cannot get through. Like, it cannot get through because he was, like, right there. You know, yeah. he yeah. was right there. So I'm now panicking. I'm why the news. The, there was no Twitter. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. It was mm-hmm. right on the cusp, yeah. right on the cusp. So I had very little news coming in. My mom calls and she's like, get out of that multiple story building. Like, come down from the 10th floor. You got to get out of there. My mom's in a fucking panic. And but Roger's like, no, it was just an accident. It's no big deal. Two weeks after the Twin Towers fell, we were acquired. That's how fast it took. Two weeks. Two weeks to go from Source One Services, a locally run BPO. A BPO is a broker's price opinion. It's cheaper than a real estate agent's estimate. A real estate agent who has to pay their dues, you know, they, they pay a ton in, and so they can make a real estate assessment for a property value it has more clout but if you want the cheaper version it's a bpo it's a broker price opinion which is what i gave i gave you my broker's price opinion. was i a broker absolutely not why was i the authority of what's hot or not i don't know i don't know i just showed promise so i got this analyst position but um we were acquired and we became a branch of um America for no what was it called American I don't know I know our logo was an eagle after that anyway it got it basically got what's the word I don't want to say I don't want to say like uh, sweat shop (laughs) We were expected to turn around uh, 15 BPOs an hour every hour that we were on the clock. And we were told to just fudge whatever value, like the whole, like I had this career where I thought like my opinion was really valued and it immediately shifted. After the Twin Towers fell, fell, my position was transitioned to it was mandatory that I fake my opinion within 20% of any comp that I came across. Is that weird? Yeah. And seven years later, the housing bubble would... And seven years later, the housing bubble would fuck over so many of my peers that the guilt still gives me ulcer pains today. <laughs> I think to myself, I was an analyst... I gave these broker price opinions when I had no right to do so. I ha- It's not like I was out there in the field walking these neighborhoods, understanding the demographic, understanding whether they were next to a substation or under power lines. Or um, Remember when we were going to buy that house in North Salt Lake? <laughs> If we the had bu- if we had bought that house in North Salt Lake, we would be negative today. half a million dollars with voles living I in was, our bathroom. I was thinking of that house two hours okay? ago. But this is this is the power they gave this twenty year old girl at the crossroads Weird. of her life, and so I quit. 
you know, on I left on nine eleven because I and I still feel very guilty for the houses I helped. Okay, so okay, I didn't I didn't go into the whole story. Let me just say this before I before I end. When I finally quit, when I finally gave up the ghost for this American Services acquisition of the job I used to have, um, it was almost ninety five percent foreclosures. Like you said, the housing bubble burst right after the towers fell. Right, it was almost immediate. Right. No, it was a few years. Okay, but for me, as the broker price opinion <coughs> analyst, I can't believe they trusted that. I lived in a trailer when I did these broker price opinions by proxy for some of the greatest real estate agents in America. As long as I fell within the 20% parameter of any comp, they accepted it, uploaded it, and gave me bonuses. It was toxic and very enchanting and very wrong. And for that, I'm sorry, but I did realize in time, and I dismissed myself from the role. I realized I was my life force was being used for something sinister. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Totally. And I feel guilty to this day to whoever's house I helped foreclose on. I am eternally sorry. I have been there. I have been in your shoes. I have walked your line and I'm sorry. I would have valued your property so much higher if the Twin Towers had never fell and I had to be within 20% of that BPO estimate. Forgive me. Forgive me. Please forgive me. I ask for forgiveness on this cancer eclipse moon of 2020. Let this go from my soul. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. So on 9-11, I was working as a purchasing manager for a construction company that did a bunch of federal projects. I've had a weird life. It's all, it's all been step into step into the next step. But uh, I remember, so I was the purchasing manager, so I worked in this office, and I would just buy shit, and I was in charge of these drivers. We would deliver construction supplies to job sites. And we also built houseboats. <laughs> yes, and we had that's this, right. We had this big, we built this big, built. we had this big building at the back of our shop where they built these huge-ass houseboats. And at that point in time, in 2001, I was, tw- how old was it? 20, I don't know. I don't know how old I was. Early 20s. Sure. And um, I w- would go to work. I was a closet smoker. <laughs> And I would a get smoker of closet weed cigarettes, or cigarettes. Cigarettes? What? What did you smoke? I smoked Camel Lights Ugh, or I... or Cools oh. or Camel Menthols. The Cools were good because your you no, stink is bad. But... I don't even know this about you. I've no, never no, known you I'm to smell clean. like cigarettes. I'm, I'm telling you the story you've never heard before. What? So I was I I, I used to smoke. I thought you never smoked like well, me. I haven't, I haven't, I've never smoked yeah, a cigarette. I never. Haven't, I haven't smoked since 2005. When did I meet you? My last 2005. The day I met you, I the, the, <laughs> the my last cigarette, the last cigarette I had was the night before I met Shut you. Shut up. Yeah, for real. Shut up. 
for real. You haven't smoked with my brother I, since. No. Lies, no. Mentel. I maybe have <laughs> one drag oh. since I met you. Oh, there it is. But that's it. <laughs> one in Indianola. <laughs> and that's it. I've had all one right, drag right, since right. 2005. Okay, okay. okay, but back then, and I wasn't a big smoker. It was maybe a pack a week, you know. I don't know because I've never smoked, so I don't know. What and I would hide it under my. I know a I would bag hide of it under this, one hour. And I would days. hide it under. I would hide it under the um, seat of my my truck. And when I would go to work, I'd smoke a cigarette on my way to work with the window down. And then when I get to work, uh, the, m- me and the driver, my, one of my delivery what drivers, Corey Twitchell. And, yeah, Corey Twitchell and Scott Spencer. <laughs> Shut up! It was Twitchell. Yeah. We were all standing, we were all out in the boat shop, the houseboat shop, and we were all smoking cigarettes. And it was, I, so when, when you live in, in uh, Utah and you work for a family-owned Mormon business, you have to like kind of balance, and you're not a Mormon, you have to kind of pretend to be Mormon in the office, even though you're not. And so I used to go out to the boat shop and smoke. And we, there were these windows in the garage doors where I could look if anyone was coming out and hurrying. And everyone else was smoking, so you could always justify why you stunk. Right. Like, I'm sorry, everyone's in the <laughs> yeah. office. All these barbarian smoke camels. And so, I was, out, so I, was out there, I was out there smoking um, a cigarette um, with Scott and Corey, and Scott's wife called him and said, a plane just fell, flew into the Empire State Building. And we were standing there, and, I, and, and he was like, I don't know, they might just be some idiot, some freaking idiot. And Corey Twitchell, funny that you mentioned his name, Corey Twitchell said... I bet you it's Bin Laden. I guarantee you it's Bin Laden. He <gasps> knew because he, he had been knew? on like he had been he on like knew? He, yeah, I had never yeah, heard. Yeah, and yeah, I was oblivious. Yeah. Okay, he had been on like twenty twenty or one of those shows in the previous week, and he had watched it, and he was like, "I did guarantee you it's Bin Laden." And then that second plane hit, and we got the fucking second call from his wife, his wife, and because this was before cell phones. Sure, and, I know, I and know. So it was the call. He's, that's where he's, I, my mom's calling my desk phone. He's taking this call <laughs> on the wall like, on a, with, a, with a cord on the side of the boat shop. Like someone's gonna target Fort Union in Utah. Like she called. He, she called. She called the office, and you got the intercom. <laughs> Scott, please answer line one and he picks it up and it's his wife and the second thing to, and we had they had bought this old houseboat that they were had refurbished and it had, came with this little black and white tv in it and we had shoved a, like a coat hanger in it trying yeah. to get some we were watching the the i watched the the other tower that wasn't you know the third one that came yeah. down we watched that on this little fuzzy thing and and then we had to still work like i was out like picking up construction supplies and delivering it to job sites and i i'm standing in this i'm standing at industrial supply in salt lake city mm-hmm. on 13th I know South. industrial supply and i look down from my park I'm where, i look days. i look down and i'm wearing this red t-shirt with a star on it that says un-american and i'm wearing a zippy and i reach down and i like oh. zip up my zippy and i'm like oh shit um, <laughs> and everything changed after that i don't know what to tell you but the un-American shirt is still folded in your bottom yeah, drawer. <laughs> it still kicks around. It's all full of holes. That's crazy. It doesn't fit me. But I was wearing that shirt on 9-11. And you're like, mm, zip. <laughs> but but like like six months later, I'd quit that job. Like I couldn't. I, I actually quit the job thinking that they would like counter, but they called my bluff and they let me quit. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because they just, tanked. I went on a series of of pretending to be people I wasn't to get these jobs <laughs> that turned out to be these great things. 
but you mean how you bluffed yourself into AutoCAD? Oh, no, that was that Stevens construction. That was before nine eleven. I bluffed <laughs> myself into AutoCAD. Crazy, but that's how you ended up at Stevens. Yeah. Is you bluffed your yeah, AutoCAD? I, I bluffed my way in there, but 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 um, Caution, but but I couldn't do it. I was at this point in my life. Three levels. <laughs> I was at this point in my life where I thought after nine eleven, where this shit happened, where I thought. I'm really like this is how it affected me. Am I? Is this what I'm going to do with my life? Am I going to just be right. a purchasing manager for a so construction young. company, Such or am ex- I going to do something? Shit. And I was in school. I was going to school. I was in graduate school at me that too. point. I, okay, and I wasn't in graduate but, school. But I but I was doing college. other things with my life. But it still, sure. I was like, I can't do this job anymore. I just can't. I got to do something. And then I went into that's graphic design. I, I had about, to become more uh, something more creative. Want. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly. I was like, I can't just keep lying about this 20% because it's more than 20% and it was eating me up inside. I was like, 20%? I just, I just can't value this. Like, I value that. I'm sorry. Like, I want to. Like, I want to. But you're asking my honest opinion. I can't give the same clout to this as I give to that. And I caved under the pressure. I quit. I went back to retail, of all things, of all things, back to retail, which I'm still in today, really, although not, I don't know, not quite as, but, you know, hearing you talk about that, it brings, it actually brings a lot of things full circle. I like that. It's good to just let it go. We were just really traumatized, kind of young. We were just getting started, man. I lived through this life where in seventh grade, I'm sitting in um, my health class. And the teacher, Coach Reese, the basketball coach, who has passed on from cancer... But the the I remember him because like like our junior high was undefeated in basketball that year, and my cousin played on the team, and everybody shaved their heads in support of the basketball Aww. team and whatever. And he and he said if they won the championship, he would shave their head, and they made him shave their head. So I was in Coach Reese's health class, and we're all just sitting there, and we're sitting there, and the bell is rung, and, and there's no Coach Reese, and everybody's sitting there, and finally he comes in like 15 minutes late, and he's like, "Sorry, I was just in the office watching the space shuttle explode." Oh, don't and everyone's you, like, you and, and nobody, get... and nobody believed him. And he ma- he made somebody go to the office, and the office called down to the class over the intercom to confirm that the space shuttle had blown wait, up. Wait, wait, how old were you in this? Seventh grade. I was in seventh grade. I at this was point. in first okay. grade. I was in seventh grade. Actually, you probably watched. I the think live. I was I in didn't. kindergarten when they wheeled the TV in, and I think I watched it. No. It wasn't quite first grade. We and watched the replay over and over and over again grade, the next few days. Every class. The Challenger? Yeah. Every class, the teacher wheeled the thing in, and we watched that thing explode for seven periods a day for like three days while we talked about it. But I remember where I was when it happened, and I didn't see it happen live. The teacher came in and said, I just want, and nobody believed him. And they came up, and then and then the next few days. Was, so I came from this time where in seventh grade, it's the Challenger, and at like 23 it's like 9-11 and it's like, all right, man, Okay. Like, fuck this. I'm going to fucking do what I want to do. Man, you really put me into a memory and now I remember. I remember my teacher, Miss Vera Hunt. Miss Vera Hunt also went on The Price is Right and won a Ford Astro Van. One year after I had her class. I love her. 
I hope she, I hope she's I don't know where she is. She might be gone. She might be here. Wherever you are, Vera Hunt, you impacted me. Even after I watched the Challenger explode on a tiny wheel in I don't remember if it was first or second grade. It might have been Mrs. Bronze. It might have been Mrs. Fonseca. I don't remember. But by the time I got to Mrs. Hunt, (laughs) by the time I got to Mrs. Hunt, I believed in miracles. I believed in prices, right? Miracles. I believed in the lottery. And I still joined Young Astronauts for the next 12 years. I was still a young astronaut. For the next 12 years of my school career and when I got to the last year of high school and I went to my guidance counselor I'm like what do you mean you don't have a young astronauts for seniors <laughs> I was like so upset I'm like what do you mean there's no young astronauts program for seniors in high school are you fucking kidding me like I've come so far in the young astronauts program and she's like I can recommend ornithology. What's that? What's ornithology? Ornithology is the study of birds. Mm. It's bird watching for a, a credit. <laughs> I thought I taught it. And uh, my teacher. Okay, so I took two pretty hardcore science classes my senior year. One was astronomy. One was ornithology. And they were both taught by the same guy at my high school at a senior level. And he was so dry, Mr. Fraser. Oh my, it's a monotone. Okay, so first you have to calculate the apex of this and the... Also, but here's the thing, here's the thing. So he was the teacher of astronomy and ornithology, which were both the best sounding courses in the curriculum and ended up being the most boring fucking torturous classes of the whole curriculum but he also was the teacher for the bus to ski club aka snowboarding club and he drove the bus to brighton every two weeks so i took his classes yep so I took his classes because he drove the bus to Brighton every two weeks and I snowboarded for free at Park City in Brighton. It was great. And Kira was there because Taylorsville was on the same program. And they were like, we'll pick up your smart kids and take them snowboarding. And I'm like, yes. And we did it for like two or three years. Me and Kira and Kelly. And it was beautiful. And Laprill from Alta even. Uh, actually, Lapril graduated in the same graduating class as Julianne Huff. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing her, actually, at Lapril's graduation. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying that um, shit's weird how it plays out. Very weird. Very, very weird. Indeed. Indeed. It's very weird how we're sitting here in this garage. The traffic has died down it's a little bit. It's gone completely silent, it actually. It's crazy weird. there when we started. So, in this moment, let's just remember Ram Das. Yes. Let's just remember Elizabeth Wurzel. Yes. She's not forgotten like a communist traitor. She's beloved. She's beloved like a dark horse of the feminine nature of America. America's a goddess, by the way, as is California. I don't know if you're familiar. California with a K. 
And and if you don't know, she's a black goddess, who African American avatar. Don't, if you don't know who Ram Dass is, shame on you. And if you fucking hate Elizabeth Wurzel, shame on you. Fucking don't listen to that. Well, and, you never would have made it this far if you uh, hate Elizabeth Wurzel. So fuck y'all. Did I say fuck y'all? I didn't mean that. I love y'all. She said fuck y'all. I heard it. I'm just, I'm just channeling her. Because that's something she would say. She'd just be like, what, you don't get it? I'm sorry. Wah. But it's good. I had another thought. Okay. Speak. I was feeling dumb. I was, this is the weird how it comes full circle. I hadn't felt this way since I was very young. But lately, with everything that's happening, the war, koalas burning, I can't deal with it all, um, it triggered me back into a younger place in my mind. And um, I was feeling like I was dumb for feeling sensitive, dumb for crying, dumb for feeling heartbroken. Dumb for feeling the weight of ecology and the Earth Mother Gaia suffering under all this bullshit. And Rob Bresney posted something yesterday that was like, I am crying every day for the pain of the world, but also I am blessed by a beautiful, happy family. How are you doing? And I've never felt anything more (laughs) because it's like, Half of my heart is just like given to joy and the things that I've manifested and the people that I've met that have helped. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful and I'm so blessed and I feel so much gratitude. And the other half of my heart is just like, we are going to take you out. Like, we will not deal with this egregious bullshit anymore. Like, love is the law. Like, we will not. But also while you're doing your bullshit to try and fight this war, while you're putting up a fight against love, my heart is breaking. Don't put up a fight against love. Let love into your heart. Like, what are you fighting? We could all be fine. The whole world, the entire fucking world, could be fine well, if we just let it be fine. Here's just the problem. let it be it's, fine. It's, there, are, there are people who, what who is this? own the resources that don't want people to be fine. They want to be the only ones who are fine. But they are fewer they and want, we are more. They can want we to not be privileged. No, they want to be privileged. And how can they be privileged if everybody is equal? I'll tell you what. Those who feel, those who hurt, those that hear the screams of dying Gaia... We will be reborn. We will rule the earth. We're the real thing. So go ahead and fucking fade away in your bullshit. You won't win. Love will win. Love will reign. Goddess will defeat you. Still in the 
Next time I see 